I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in Sangha. Oh, good evening. I, I'm going to start a series of talks, maybe five, but maybe a little more than that, uh, exploring the five great elements. And I'll begin that today. So this teaching is found throughout uh, the Buddhist tradition and in the many streams that the Buddhist tradition is or has become, uh, it's presented differently. So in the Zen tradition, you really hear the elements woven throughout uh, the poetry of Zen uh, and throughout the koans. And the five great elements and what that I'm talking about are earth, water, fire, air, and space. And in, in the Buddhist tradition, space is added as an element. And that's really a, an, an important one. Um, maybe in some would say the most important or the second most important. They're all important, right? And they're all interconnected. Um, so before, before I started practicing Zen, um, I was in Chinese medicine school. Um, before I started practicing Zen like as a monastic, I guess, I was in Chinese medicine school. Uh, so I have a, a background in um, Chinese cosmology, which is really what, what the Zen tradition was born out of. Um, when Zen came to China, it um, very harmoniously like, fit itself into the Taoist worldview. And so, well, I don't know how harmonious it was, but it seems harmonious at this point, this far in the future uh, from when that happens. Um, but but from, from the early text, you see like Bodhidharma, who is considered the founder of Zen, um, using the word the Tao to talk about the way, which was to talk about the path of practice, the Dharma. Um, and the elements... You know, just like for those of you who are familiar with um, Western astrology, the, the elements are kind of the core of which those uh, constellation archetypes are, are born from. So the elements are contained within that. And similarly in the Chinese cosmology. And so those um, elements that are like the precursors to the archetypes, you know, can be traced to, to, to describe physical experience, physical observation, emotional, psychological, and spiritual. <clears throat> and then in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and that's probably the place that these teachings of the elements have, have been the most preserved as specific practices, um, they're so deeply embedded into the cosmology of the teachings, describing uh, energetic constitutions of practitioners through this archetypal framework that has come, been come to known in the West as the five Buddha families. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with that, there's been uh, some Western psychologists who picked that, that teaching up, and um, so there's some books on it. And then, of course, indigenous cultures throughout America have used the element, elemental framework as a way of understanding ourselves or the self and our interrelationship with all things 
And that's similar in Buddhism. I mean, that's part of the reason why I like to come back to the elements again and again, and I find myself doing that. Um, we often lead a, a retreat in, at the monastery. It's a week-long session um, meditation retreat that's outdoors. And often during that retreat, we're really exploring the elements. So one of the things that I find this teaching can do is can help us see certain commonality uh, of all things, um, feel like the elements are, are such an embodied teaching. We experience the elements most intimately through our body and then through the senses. And then we can see how, oh, that we can start to open to. Maybe it's not always obvious, but like, during that retreat, oftentimes people feel like, oh, my breath and the wind are the same. Like just this recognition of, of the air element in the body and throughout the body of the earth. And, and this is a piece that you find throughout uh, the Zen tradition. I was talking a little bit about this last week. This just interbeing, interpermeation of... Um, the world, what we call the world, the earth, and what we call ourselves. Now that barrier doesn't stop at our, our skin, but we are intermade by and we make and participate in the co-creation of the universe. And that's very much within the Zen tradition of, of this kind of an intimacy, like the body, our body is the body of the earth. So today I want to start with the earth elements um, in our experience as earthlings, at least at this point in human history, we're still uh, very much uh, dependent on the earth. The earth is our ground, it supports our life. And everything we experience on earth is in relationship to the earth. So we're very interwoven into many, many relationships um, that are all dependent on or reliant on or interwoven with the, the life of the earth. So I want to uh, share a reading. This is um, one of my favorite, more recent Zen books. It's called The Deepest Peace by Zenju Earthlin Manuel. Um, and she has many books, but this one is very poetic and personal, and they're just short teachings. Um, just like about her experience, she's a very senior uh, Zen teacher, one of the first transmitted African-American teachers in our uh, lineage in Zen and um, just like a really beautiful, brilliant mind and writer and human being. And this uh, section that I'm gonna read is called Close to the Earth Intimacy. Scaled quail squabble and run together across dirt roads, making nests between small spaces. It's a love affair. There seems to be genuine love between them because they are each other. From here, it sounds like they talk the same language. The fact that they seem to know and prefer each other somehow says they are intimate, inseparable, moving with peace and harmony. Yet, as I observe this community of quail, 
I sense there's another dimension to their togetherness. It isn't because they are the same color or speak the same language. What I see is that they're intimately tied together because they are fiercely connected to the land. They walk the land together. They talk, sing, and eat on the land. They create their homes from the tiniest amounts of grass and offerings of twigs and rocks. Imagine if they were not in relationship to the earth. Their lives would be chaos. The quail would not know where to go, whom to trust, or how to live. They could not rely on each other. From the earth beneath their feet comes the intimacy between them. Their interconnection to the earth ensures their relationships with one another. Interdependence with the earth is complete intimacy. One of the lines I really love in there, and I feel like she's talking indirectly to us, about us, and she says, Imagine if they were not in relationship to the earth. Their lives would be chaos. So imagine when you're not, and I, th I think as human beings in, in the modern world, we have this experience of not feeling sometimes connected to or, or not recognizing our relationship to the earth. And perhaps there's chaos. And another way we can think of that, that you know, the meaning of earth is, is when we're not connected to presence. There's chaos. And then she goes on to say they would not know where to go, whom to trust, or how to live. Which I feel like describes an aspect of the human condition when we're disconnected. Disconnected from our home. Disconnected from the earth. And also disconnected from that, that sense of inner stability, which is part of what the earth element is inviting us into uh, as Dharma practitioners. So there's always levels to this and all the levels are important. So many of us, I think, come to practice meditation as a way of staying grounded or of reconnecting to embodiment, opening our awareness from just being brains or just being heads and though we look like we're just heads right now <laughs> on zoom um you know and and connecting to gravity that keeps us connected at least physically to the earth at this point in human history and it's through grounding in our physical bodies in our senses that we return to presence or what they say in um, some traditions of Buddhism, the ground of being, this, this place of, of presence. And if we didn't have some way of presencing or grounding, like Zenju said, our lives would be chaos. And one thing um, Chosen Roshi taught me, and I thought this, I, I find this very beautiful. She's like, actually, we would be dead. Like if we didn't have some way, she's like all humans, and she has faith in humanity, I feel in this statement. But she says all humans have some way, some way of connecting to presence. And, you know, it might not be 
for most people meditation and it might not be like this kind of deep inner work but it might be collecting stamps we have um, a sangha member whose partner doesn't practice but he collects stamps and it's like a meditation for him it's like a way that he presences um, and there's you know countless other ways you can think children of she would often in, um, invite us when we were like going home for the holidays to visit friends when I was or family and friends and people were sometimes nervous about going and seeing extended family members she would invite us to ask people well, what what are your hobbies and she's like and that's a way in if you ask somebody what their hobbies are that's usually a one way that they presence that they ground that they find connection um, for most of us our entire lives happen in relationship to this planet we are the earth and we are of the earth when we return to our bodies and to basic presence we return to the earth body and and you can feel experience that through your senses we return to this web of interdependent relationships that make our world we are the earth and on some level we we know this right like it's spring here in in portland it's like really spring like it's been warm and hot some days um but when i like walk outside in the spring like to look at a flower like opens my heart if i'm really in touch with my body and if i'm really paying attention i'm i'm shaped by uh, the the different aspects of the natural world the animals the creatures you know all all experience including the city shapes us but we are shaped by the earth if we let it in and i think we can really feel and 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 see how we wear the bodies and the energies of earth and in in the natural world many of us feel like we don't have to you know be as on guard and so we can really let in the teachings of the natural world that that feeling sense of walking into a grove of trees and feeling the presence of the trees and then maybe when we walk into a grocery store like a big one we we put up a little bit more maybe not guardedness or armor but we kind of like pull in those receptors and stay closer to uh, the ground (laughs) and our breath and so that we can move through more chaotic situations embodied the earth element is our physical body so one way of connecting to this teaching of the earth element is through our physical bodies our muscles bones tendons sinew skin the flesh of our bodies it's like our own soil and ground and living in a fast-paced world with high-speed internet and ai and cell phones it's sometimes unfortunately easy to forget that we have bodies like how many times do i go through my day just like ignoring hunger hunger signals and just kind of plowing on with whatever i'm fixated on on my computer or in in work mode you can like we even kind of communicate states of of body and mind as like if we were a computer 
sometimes. So a practice, and I think a practice for most modern humans is one, remembering we have bodies and, and letting awareness inhabit your entire body throughout the day, not just in meditation. And it can be, it can be subtle, but it can be like rather awakening to like sit at the computer and also know that you have feet and a stomach and a heart and that you can inhabit those places as well and feel the subtle responses and the way that the body communicates its needs. Um, and the way the body, the whole body and our hearts respond to whatever we're taking in. That's, that's a really interesting practice just to notice like, oh, when does my heart close as I'm like scrolling through the news or looking through Instagram or when does my body tighten up and can I be in relationship and, and kindness and compassion and relationship with my body, you know, as I'm taking in, experiencing different stimuli. And maybe you would do something different and maybe you wouldn't. Maybe it's more just about being relationship. Like, oh, wow, I recognize that tension. And I, that changes things, even that just place of recognition. It's like our bodies respond to our attention. One Buddhist teacher said attention is love. It's like what we give our attention to uh, is nurtured. Our bodies are alive so as we relearn how to inhabit them or to inhabit them we live just kind of innately we live more connected to the world we are in to the people we're in relationship with to the earth itself the earth element or the earth itself to display qualities of awakened life and that's another aspect of this teaching now. So as we live more embodied, we can start to recognize those qualities of the earth element. So many of us have different associations with what the earth element is. Uh, some of the ones that have been taught in the Buddhist tradition or some of my own associations from doing uh, practices with, with the earth element is stability a sense of groundedness, receptivity, generosity, forgiveness, and then a, a just like a natural abundance. And those are all qualities of awakened awareness. Those are all qualities of awakened nature. And as we observe these qualities in the natural world or, or through study and practice with the earth elements, we can also observe that these qualities are inherent in us and we can cultivate or grow the qualities that we'd like to nurture in our own hearts and minds and bodies. So meditation and awareness are both practices that can help us recognize these qualities in ourselves and cultivate them. And then another aspect of the earth element, and this one is maybe a little less intuitive and, and part of, like I was saying, like the Buddhist kind of 
cosmology and, and teachings. So in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, um, each of the great elements is associated with an afflictive emotion and then kind of the medicine for that affliction, which is an awakened quality. So the earth element is associated with, the word they use is pride, but it, as you'll see, it encompasses maybe a bigger definition of pride than I normally think of when I think of pride. So Ken McLeod, who's a Tibetan Buddhist teacher, um, first of all, he points out that all of our afflictive emotions are, are linked to fear. So fear is like the underlying first response. And then these emotions kind of come in um, maybe to, to, to cover up or to protect or defend in some way that, that vulnerability of just raw fear. So that's something you can begin to observe in yourself is, is fear underlying most or all of what we call afflictive emotions. And as I go through these teachings, you'll kind of get a, a picture of what the afflictive emotions are, but basically the emotions that we attach stories to that cause suffering to ourselves and others. <clears throat> because, and that's another side of this, like the, um, the raw emotion itself isn't necessarily afflictive. It's just how we react to feeling that emotion that often causes affliction often causes suffering to ourselves and others so this with the with the earth element he says the fear is a fear of losing control so we're kind of going along in our day and then something happens we hit a situation where we no longer feel in control or that, that illusion of being in control is disrupted you know maybe um you know something happens at work that was surprising and and now you thought it, your day was going to go this way and suddenly it's going a different way and there can be or you're in the middle of a a kind of challenging conversation with a partner or a loved one and they say or do something that is unexpected and there's a feeling of like oh i thought I thought our relationship or I thought we were on this page and now I don't feel that anymore. And so there are many reactions we could have. Like sometimes the gut reaction is maybe anger at losing control. But this reaction from the earth element is more of a sense of, of gripping, like holding to your point of view or your perspective. So like grabbing for ground in the face of groundlessness or in the face of the unknown or in the face of losing control. So the response to not being in control is to tighten, is to tense up, is to contract, is to grasp at rules or form or material objects or that felt sense of just like, I know, I'm right and I'm going to hold my position. I'm going to hold my ground because that's what's safe. That's what's familiar. And even though it doesn't seem rational sometimes, it's something that we probably all have experience of doing, of just grabbing hold of that, that I know mind, I'm right mind. And we might do it just like when we're reading the news <laughs> and some, some disagreement or something surprises us. And, and there's that sense of, well, I know, 
I were in charge. So here, pride is more of like an accumulation. It's holding on to something. It could be an idea. It could be that sense of being right. It also could be like hoarding possessions or food or um, holding tightly to a certain habit or belief, even though we know they're causing us suffering on some level. So it's a holding to maintain control, to, have, to not have to feel that sense of being out of control, of not knowing what to do. It's, it's a kind of stealing against impermanence or change in like the grasping way. There are many ways that we steal against impermanence and change, but this is highlighting that kind of holding way. So it can be a calcification of beliefs. It can be a putting oneself up and trying to find security and stability in those ideas, that position, roles, responsibility, job, title, relationship. Those are ways that we can do it on like a longer term scale. It's just really investing in um, you know, our sense of position, role, relationship status, title, job, accomplishments, possessions, whatever it is, what we can do. So the teaching of the earth elements is just like inviting investigation there, saying like, you know, things that change and changes the nature of um, experience is, is the nature of all things, that, that all things will change, all things are in flux, uh, that it, that we can't hold on to anything in the material world, including our own identities, uh, for too long, because everything is changing. So it's pointing to that that sense of grasping, of wanting to be right, of of, of hoarding, uh, is um, is not going to really provide a sense of security in the way we might want it to in the moment that we're doing that. We can't find stability in things that are changing. We won't find true security in being right or having lots of rules or having lots of things or following the rules. So true, and this is the Dharma teaching, true stability, true security comes from accepting change, from releasing the need to control the unknown, to control other people, including what other people might think of us. The Chosen Roshi says, we build our home on groundless ground. And so true stability is, in another way of saying what Chosen said, is true stability is returning to presence, to the ground of our being, knowing that that inner home, that, that sense of security, maybe even that sense of inner abundance when we're truly present in the senses. We can feel the abundance of just life itself unfolding itself because the other side of impermanence that everything is, is changing, kind of slipping away as we try to grasp a hold of it, is that everything is coming forth, is blossoming, is being born new. And so we can resting and in presence see that side of things see the abundance that's present in the senses all of the time 
So I just wanted to um, give a few practices as a way of connecting to uh, the earth element. So in Buddhist cosmology, the earth element is represented in the color yellow. You might have your own color uh, for the earth elements, uh, but in that, and, and this specifically comes more from the Tibetan tradition, the Buddhist families. Um, so the, the color yellow is one way of connecting to the earth elements. Uh, and another is to visualize in your meditation or throughout your day connecting with inner security and stability by imagining a golden yellow jewel in your core. And that can be just the way of remembering like the jewel of your true nature is right here. And this jewel is the Mani jewel, which is called the wish fulfilling jewel. And it's the jewel that Jizo Bodhisattva is holding, who is the Bodhisattva of the earth. His name literally means earth womb Bodhisattva. And he holds this, this jewel, this Mani jewel. Kind of touching into like when we rest in our true nature, that that wish for security is fulfilled just in that resting. A deeper level of security and stability. And then other ways, so that's like kind of a way of using the imagination and has a playful quality, but other ways of coming back to that stability of the body through our skeleton, through contact with our seat and feet and feeling the silence and stillness of the body before thought. And then of course, movement practices like going for a walk or stretching or doing yoga can help move stagnant energy and also can just help us like feel the body <laughs> as the body uh, connected to the earth. And then practices like gratitude and appreciation for this life. And starting small and immediate. So connecting to something right in the moment when you ask yourself, is there something I'm grateful for? And then using your senses to connect to gratitude right here, right now. And that has a way of presencing us, bringing us into the present moment, opening the senses, and then also opening the heart. And then last, the quality of generosity. So the spirit of generosity is the other side of that kind of tendency to hoard or hold on to or grasp. Generosity is more of an open hand, right? And generosity of mind is an open mind. So we can practice that when we notice the mind getting tight around our particular belief or idea. See if we can open the mind and, and try to hold or imagine ourselves into other perspectives. The generosity of the heart is an open heart. So noticing when the heart closes and seeing, oh, can I take the gesture of openness even for a moment around whatever is coming up in the feeling realm. And then there's the willingness just to give, to share, to serve, to be in relationship. Generosity counters rigidity and isolation and stagnation and negativity because it opens us up into 
interdependence into relationship. There's this, um, this is the last thing I'll say, there's this movie um, by Alejandro Jodorowsky called Psycho Magic, and it's him like helping people perform rituals to connect with um, different, different things that they're struggling with in their lives. And there's this one woman who's struggling, she's an older woman, she's struggling with depression and feeling isolated. And the, the ritual that she's, he gives her is to walk to the park every day. So she has to get out of her apartment and walk to the park and water this giant tree with a little cup of water. But the, the spirit of that was generosity. Of was was in an invitation and so that's another way of practicing generosity that has this more ritual quality of like choosing a way that every day you will give and it can be to a plant it can be to um, you know, somebody who's living on the streets it can be uh, a prayer but it's a way of can uh, it can be an offering of incense it can be offering of a chance but it's a way of just practicing that gesture of openness and in remembering interconnection you could be walking to the park and watering a tree <laughs> it's a way and, and the ritual is powerful because it lives in the body prior to thought so your mind can be grumbling about it but you're still doing the action with the body and over time that makes an impact it's part of the reason we do so many bows in uh, the Buddhist tradition. It's like teaching through the body humility and gratitude.